0: At the time, the company was doing the low $1,000 and growth was ridiculously slow. The other option for Paul was that he was going to close Fathom down.
1: Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast where I bring you stories of fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. Today, I'm joined by Jack Ellis, who is the co-founder of Fathom Analytics, the simple privacy-focused alternative to Google Analytics launched in 2018. Now, Jack handles the technical side of the business, but isn't afraid to get on the mic on their podcast above board or send out some spicy tweets. Jack also runs a serverless Laravel course, which he launched back in 2020 to some success. After this conversation, Jack has turned into a true friend. We spoke for several hours after the podcast and he's genuinely a nice chap. Jack talks with great wisdom on his approach to bootstrapping a SaaS company and taking on a huge incumbent like Google. Thank you to my friend Charlie from Weekend Club for sponsoring this episode with his new project, Part-Time Tech Jobs, which is a fantastic site for finding and posting, you guessed it, part-time tech jobs. If you're looking to transition for a full-time role to indie hacking, finding a part-time role might just be for you, de-risking that transition. And on the other side, if you're looking to hire great entrepreneurial talent without breaking the bank, this is where you should post. So if you're looking for a part-time tech job, head to parttimetechjobs.co or if you're looking for tech talent, use the code IndieBytes, all caps, for 80% off all featured posts. Finally, a little plug for my new podcasting course, showing you exactly how to make a podcast just like IndieBytes in only two hours or less a week. So if you've been wanting to start a podcast but haven't found the time, head to Two Hour Podcast and use the code BYTES for $10 off. But that's enough from me. Let's get into this conversation. Jack, welcome to the podcast. How are you
0: doing? I am wonderful. You are a true professional.
1: I I love it. And I love it when I'm speaking to people that have built awesome businesses like you have with Fathom. And when I was looking back into what Jack Ellis has done in the past, it's, there's more to you than just running this privacy focused analytics platform. But what I'm also happy about is that I've got a fellow Brit on the mic, which <laughs> which is always nice to me. And we can talk about stuff like Brexit and fuel prices or, oh, course, or whatever yeah. else we want to. But talk me through Fathom, what it is as brief as you can why paul and danny started it and what made you join because it wasn't something that you co-founded or or started yourself you joined an existing project and for someone like a, a, a lot of indie hackers when they want to start their own project it's usually their own idea or a group of people come together with an idea but this was something you joined a little bit later you went 50 50 was it hard to join in a project that had already started and wasn't your own idea
0: Fathom started, it was Paul's idea on Twitter, right? He posted a screenshot of, it wasn't privacy focused or privacy first. He was just sick to death of how complex Google was and getting simple answers from analytics. You just couldn't do that. And he had this vision of how it could be so much better. And then he worked on an open source version version of Fathom with Danny. And because Danny had some code from the past and they sort of, you know, worked together, built this thing. The open source repo was successful. And then uh, I think Danny and Paul had a phone call. Paul, they had a phone call right before me and Paul, because me and Paul were working on Pico, which was a medium competitor. And we had know, thousands of people on our waiting list. We're very excited. Very, very excited about that. that a, I forgot about Pico until you mentioned it this morning, <laughs> but we were working on Pico and Paul had a call with Danny on Skype. And then we had a call directly after him. Paul's like, Danny's saying that he's done with Fathom. And so I'm like, oh, shit, you know, that's not good. Paul's, you know, Paul's not a developer. Paul's a designer. And now he's lost his developer. So we immediately get to talking about the idea of me coming on board. And at the time, the company was doing the low $1,000 and growth was ridiculously slow. But, you know, it was still enough to see that there was clearly product market fit. So we had this hard decision of, do we keep doing Pico, which has thousands of people on the waiting list, but doesn't actually have any revenue? or do I come on board and work on it with Paul? And Paul's written about this publicly, but the other option for Paul was that he was going to close Fathom down. So it was a case that we're going to work together on this or it's going to be closed down. And Fathom grew very, very slowly up until we launched version two, which was (laughs) a complete redo. And we launched on Product Hunt and it just blew up from there, kept on growing. We thought, oh, this is actually becoming something. That's
1: interesting. And you you said it, when v2 launched did a product hunt launch and then it started to grow quickly from that point can you think back to Any of the inflection points in growth when you were like, yes, this is really working or maybe what you were doing apart from just having a great product for that growth?
0: Uh, Paul's audience helped a bit to begin with. We still get a few people off of Paul, but we were very conscious that that can't be the only funnel. Product Hunt helped. Twitter, we've done a ton of stuff on Twitter. We're very active on Twitter. Our content game is very active. We're very public about what we do. Version two was just better. I know you you already said, don't just say better software, but... (laughs) version two was just better so you have a better product you're going to get people that actually convert it's not just about the traffic right before we had this dashboard and it was really grossly simple we didn't have countries browsers that kind of thing we didn't have anything like events or goals where suddenly we've got all this stuff and people got excited
1: well i'm interested to know how you've sort of tried to change people's perception on analytics and paying for analytics because so many people are so used to getting their analytics from free from google and Mm -hmm. google is a powerful product marketing teams literally run their whole content machine based on the data that google analytics has given (laughs) them and that is free so how did you start to convince people to pay for something that they could originally get for free
0: yeah so it's a mixture in our content and it's a mixture in general awareness of what's going on people have learned that free is not free there's some kind of trade-off somewhere and so the question is would you pay $14 a month for a company that isn't going to screw you with your data isn't going to track your visitors around the web and is actually going to do the right thing we're not under any kind of pressure from external investors or we're not a publicly traded company so when Facebook starts doing various questionable advertising things, what are they driven by? They're not driven by being good people. They're driven by profits. You know, once you're publicly traded, and I, I talked about this on our podcast, you have challenges to if you start doing the right thing, but it's not profitable. Then you can be sued by shareholders. So I think it's harder for big tech companies to do the right thing a lot of the time. Or they're just idiots. Like you, which one is it? They're either idiots or they just choose not to do the right thing. So, Fathom. Obviously, we care about profits, but we're not under any kind of pressure to do the wrong thing. To think, oh, maybe we can start. What did Google do? That stupid thing where they think they fingerprint your browser, they follow you around the web, and they put you in this kind of group to target you with adverts. And they think that that's that's not better. So they've just got all these, but they've got these pressures though. They have to do this because they've got these. Like if they suddenly drop their revenues, then the CEO is going to get sacked, or you know, people will start losing their jobs. We just don't have this.
1: You sort of answered my next question, which was about how do you go about tackling a product that has so much market share? If an indie hacker or an entrepreneur was thinking of creating a product that solves a problem where there is an absolute behemoth, what would they have to do to cut out a little bit of that market share
0: for them? Compete on areas that that company can't compete on. So take a look at Derek Grimer, what he's doing with Savvy Cow. Calendly can't provide the same attention that he can. You know, innovate on your product. Again, coming back to Savvy Cow, I think Savvy Cow is a great idea. He's innovating in areas that Calendly isn't.
1: Let's move on then from Fathom and talk a little bit about Pico because that is a product that I was really excited for. A medium competitor, fantastic. Yeah, medium has started putting ads everywhere and trying to monetize everything. Mm. And I was like, but yeah. I, I really like the writing style of medium or, or the writing experience, how it looks. And this was, before I really started using Ghost, I knew what Ghost was or, or how Ghost had developed. But this was your first time working with Paul, Paul Jarvis, or through of Company of One. Oh, no. Second
0: times, first public oh. time, I suppose. Well, okay. We built, well, crypto, what was we built a kind of crypto product before experimenting with crypto technology beforehand. That was a joke project, and we worked on that together, and that's how we kind of enjoyed working together.
1: Uh, how, how did you um, meet him and end up? deciding to to work together on
0: on something yeah so i was in bc for a holiday and i messaged paul because i was part of paul's course actually and i messaged him saying whereabouts are you and he's like he just happened to be quite close to where i was living we met for coffee and we just clicked on a bunch of stuff and then we started Pico shortly after the crypto project.
1: Before working with, with Paul, you, you always really wanted 100% ownership on something. I understand mm. people that do want that 100%, but what changed and how have you found the benefits of having a, a co-founder?
0: It uh, Keeps you focused, keeps you grounded, someone else to actually share the responsibility with. Uh, being a solo founder sucks. I mean, I'd worked you know all through the night till 5am, fall asleep, wake up, repeat this was on Raw Gains I don't know if we'll talk about that but just repeat and then you kind of get hung up on things for ages you've got no one to sanity check you Paul sanity checks me all the time and it always makes me laugh people assume that he's not involved in the the tech stuff Paul's very much involved in the tech stuff Paul sanity checks me and helps me through stuff all the time I think you need to work with someone that complements your skills I mean another example Justin Jackson with Transistor John's an incredibly talented programmer Justin's great at marketing so you have to find a co-founder that complements you else just stay solo and just hire people you know.
1: mm-hmm. And so, so you, you say Pico is already built, mm. ready to yeah. go. You, you mentioned earlier in the episode about choosing to to go on with, with Fathom instead, S- yeah. and Pico got acquired by Ghost, and it's now a lovely mm. little theme you can use. Tell me a little bit about how that acquisition
0: came about. Oh, easy. Paul's friends with John. They were talking <laughs> over text, and that was it. Done.
1: <laughs> that is one way to sell a company. Jack, I'm interested in one of your first projects, Raw Gains, which you quit your job and started.
0: I was making £20,000 a year. I was 20-something years old and I quit my job to work on this full time. And I thought that I was going to quit in June and by January I'd have enough customers to start making some money. I thought it was going to be that simple. I got, oh, I was bad back then. I thought, I, had, you know, I had all these plans. I drew out Uh, just I think I analysis paralysis right I wasted more time on things that ultimately just didn't matter what I should have been doing is focusing on a small set of features shipping it getting feedback getting people excited what I did instead was oh I'm going to build the whole product before I launch it I'm going to obsess I'm going to spend ages on the design I'm going to spend ages planning the exact class structure of this PHP class just wasted time and so I did everything wrong and I ended up shipping it late 2014 just to say that I shipped it but it was crap. It, it was, no, it wasn't. It was the technology was incredible, but it doesn't matter because no one was excited about it. No one really cared. I didn't do the right stuff. I did the opposite of everything I do now. So if I was doing Raw Gains again, I would have, like I say, built small bits of it, shipped it, got people excited, got people involved, all kinds of things. But I didn't do that and I failed and I made <laughs> no money and I cried
1: did you go back to to get a job after that
0: no 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 from that point on i was doing full-time consulting
1: was that up to the point in which you started pico and, and fathom
0: yeah so the transition out of my full-time consulting was when i launched my course the course did like a stupid amount on the first day and the course has done one hundred and fifty thousand dollars since march 2020 but it was that income that helped pad things for me and was like oh okay because fathom like i was making good money right and leaving it for fathom for fathom to pay the same money that i was making was hard you've mentioned
1: this again a, a couple of times and it's really impressive what you did with your course because after switching the entire fathom code base from go to PHP in two months you thought you put all of this accumulated knowledge into your <laughs> course serverless laravel what was your thinking behind putting
0: all this work into a course i was tweeting about what we were doing people were interested i was getting questions i was getting emails and I just thought, you know what, people are actually interested in this knowledge. I've spent more time than anyone else running into more problems because of our scale than anyone else. I've got all this knowledge. I'm going to put it into a course. And I, at the beginning, I remember writing out my goals and all the goals were things I could control. The goal was, it doesn't matter if I don't sell however many courses. What matters is that I'm either a going to learn a ton from this and I'll be ready for another course or for something else. And I'll actually get to help people. So with serverless Laravel, that told me I need to make a course. I made, I started a course, got a waiting list on that. So I shared tips publicly. I shared what I was working on. I kept on storytelling because I, like, I share what I do. Like, my goal on Twitter is to try, like, obviously I do a few shit posts here and there, <laughs> but my goal on Twitter is to help people, is to help them improve their lives. And I can't help everyone. People are, you know, people are smarter than me and everything else, but I can help a group of people. And that's all I did. And then more hype got built up for the course because it was good. It was a good course. And then uh, people bought it.
1: How did you make the course? Was it just Loom videos?
0: Oh, I can't even remember what I used. I used that one that all people use. What's it? ScreenFlow? Oh, ScreenFlow. That's it. Yeah, I yeah. used ScreenFlow. And then I just kept on promoting it you know, throughout the year. And like I said, it's done $150,000, which is stupid money.
1: Jack, this has been an absolutely marvellous conversation. We've covered a lot of ground. But at the end of every episode, I ask for three recommendations, a book, a podcast and an indie hacker people should follow or that you're inspired by. Uh,
0: The book that really shook me was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Huberman Lab is a really good podcast. Uh, It's a neurology, uh, Stanford neurologist that gives all this content for free. And then you say indie hacker. None. I don't care about indie hackers. I don't have heroes. I don't have groups that I have alliances with i look at individual traits and i try to take traits that i like and implement them in my life so james you for example i very much admire how ridiculously organized you were for this episode i haven't seen prep like that before so i don't say oh james is amazing i say oh wow this thing that james does is amazing so like i respect you for that
1: no. dude I, I really appreciate that and throughout the episode we've had a few people mentioned who are who doing good things so appreciate that the honesty but absolutely wonderful recommendations thank you jack for joining me on indie bites thank you thank you for listening to this episode with jack ellis the co-founder of fathom analytics all the links to everything we discussed in this episode will be in the show notes or at bites.fm if you'd like to support me on my journey becoming a full-time indie hacker you're doing exactly that by listening to this pod but i'd love it if you just checked out my new course just to give me feedback so i can make it better But that's all from me. See you next week.